0: Jai. So yesterday we began talking from Bhagavad Gita, speaking from Bhagavad Gita from the sixteenth chapter, in which Krishna elaborates at some length about the nature of the demonic, and we continued discussing that at the beginning of our second class and there from the Just near the end of that chapter, we were catapulted into into Krishna Leela from the instructions of Krishna about the demonic. We were taken naturally by the very flow and direction of the text into Krishna Leela. And we took a short, what would be an apparent divergence from that path into Krishna Leela, only apparent. Because we did what? We went, rather than directly into Krishna-lila, we went into Gaur-lila. And Gaur is Krishna. But apparently not so. krishna varnam hi So He's Krishna and not Krishna. He's black and not black. So, there we heard about the conversion of the demonic, uh, jagai and madai. But the conversion, of course, was uh, somewhat different than the way in which Krishna converted the demons in his leela. Given the nature of gore, tempered, uh, colored by the by the sentiments of radha, full of compassion, he took the demonic tendency out of jagananda, madavananda, jagai and madai and turned them into... Bhaktas. And of course, we also heard that in reality they were devotees themselves in disguise, having come originally from Vaikuntha as the gatekeepers of the seventh gate of Vaikuntha on the western side of that spiritual expanse. So, an encore appearance in Gorlila, Jayan Vijay made after having made three appearances in the world as apparent demons in the form of. Hiranyaksha, who was defeated by Braha, Hiranyakashipu, who was defeated by Narsinghadev, and Ravana and Kumbhakarna, defeated by Ram, and then Shishupala and Dantavakra, defeated by Krishna. And Krishna defeated Shishupala and Dantavakra at the end of his Leela. In fact, after killing Dantavakra, he crossed the Jamuna, went back to uh, Vrindavan, collected up all of the Brajbasis and took them to Goloka, to the unmanifest leela. Then in, a, in an expanded form of himself, he came and returned, went to Dwarka, Kurukshetra, and ended his manifest leela with Kurukshetra war and, and so forth. So we're at the end of Krishna leela, but we should start at the beginning. Of course, beginning and end of Krishna leela, there's not a lot of difference. Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami has explained the Leela like the movements of the sun. The sun is always shining, but from our point of view, it has a dawn and it has a setting, has a rising and has a setting. Actually, uh, we also discussed to some extent about the futility of trying to demonstrate the factual reality of the Leela on the terms of historians, archaeologists, scientists, and the like, and so forth, materialistic people, empiricists, we could call them, who accept only the facts, (laughs) as they like to see it. And, rather, we uh, suggested that these things should be discussed with such people on our terms, on philosophical terms, rather than in scientific terms. The great questions of life will not be answered by by science but by philosophy there's a chance for solving the problem of death so we should talk to them, uh, to them on, the, on our terms we should speak in terms of philosophy and theology and the ramifications of universal truths one of which I like to speak about as some of you may know is, is the uh, universally accepted principle that selfishness is not very becoming. doesn't matter what circle you're in, this will be accepted. Even amongst people who would otherwise appear selfish to us, in their own circle, they have a lower standard of selfishness that they themselves cannot tolerate. Hmm? So to give up selfishness, to pursue selflessness, we discussed this also to some extent, and how the Bhagavatam posits the fact that Like Darwinism, the world is a struggle for existence. Survival of the fittest. But it leads to the conclusion that the persons who are most fit to survive will be those who become the kindest. So, from survival of the fittest to the solution, that's the problem as perceived by Darwin, which turned him in an atheistic direction. To the Bhagavatam's advocacy of survival of the kindest, whoever is the kindest, they will survive the most, the longest. Their lives will endure; they will live forever. Almost, almost, in a practical sense, materialistically speaking, people are coming to such a conclusion of, of their own accord that, uh, with regard, for example, to the environment, we have to stop from taking and give and honor and so forth in order to preserve the species. This is the message of Bhagavatam, taken to the extreme. Now, this is a universal, as I say, uh, truth. By giving you, will receive. So to play out the ramifications of these types of things, this is how we should speak to such people on our terms. And by that, we have hope for establishing awakening faith in Krishna Leela, which is an affair that escapes history. It may appear within mundane history, but only to take us outside of the limited framework of the historian the frame of reference gathered through our mind and and senses, limited as that is, oppressive as that is, the small picture that, that it gives to take us beyond that, transport us into the big picture of life, in which although we may find ourselves to be very small, we also find the one who is actually very big, meet him, on friendly terms this is Krishna Lila and where is it taking place where is the locality of that yes there is the Prakat Lila Prakat Lila there's the Lila on earth and the unmanifest Lila it takes place in Vrindavan but we like to speak also about Vrindavan in a in a living in a dynamic way not that we deny the physical reality of Boma Vrindavan earthly Vrindavan but really it is a matter of heart one may go to earthly Vrindavan and have no experience of Vrindavan. So to go there we have to go there in consciousness, not physically. One time some of my godbrothers gathered around Pujapad Sridamarsh on his veranda as you may know he was at that time he was about eighty percent blind. And um after the discussion that he had conducted, very informal, intimate discussion, one of my godbrothers from Iskon was struggling in the, in the crowd to get forward and making a bit of a commotion, his aim being to touch the feet of Sridhar Maharaj. Well, Sridhar Maharaj said, what is, What's happening? Because there was some some pushing. <laughs> and, uh, and then he laughed. He said, Oh, you think that's what it means to get the dust of the feet of Vaishnav. <laughs> it's not like that, he said. No. Actually, the dust of the feet, of the Vaishnava, it is said in Madhuri Kadambani. It's actually said in Srimad Bhagavatam and cited in Madhuri Kadamani. The idea that if we make an offense to a Vaishnava, Vaishnavas by their nature do not take offense. So, therefore, there's no need to do anything about it. I may have committed offense, but he or she does not accept offense. So problem over. Bhagavatam advises that we should not think like this. And Vishwanath cites the verse in such a way to say in his Madhurya Kadambani that if you offend Ivashnav and he or she does not accept offense, you're not off the hook because the dust of his feet or her feet, they will take offense. So you have to deal with that. So you may have read in one place I commented on, on this and made the point that, that what is the dust of the feet of the Vaishnavas? And we came to the conclusion in that, uh, that, that discussion that the dust of the feet of the Vaishnavas are those who gather to serve that Vaishnav. We were recently, myself and, and Gurnishta, in a, in a preaching session at a place where some of the people were inimical. It was a kind of a rural community in America. number of devotees were living and they all had different kind of conceptions of Krishna consciousness and so forth. (laughs) Some of them were not favorable to our presence there and they made themselves known. And um, our hosts were were put off by that and uh, some others as well. But even they could tolerate some things living there, things that Guru could not tolerate. (laughs) So I said, beware the dust. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he could understand. I don't think anyone else understood. Actually, we, we should have such a far-reaching vision and be so concerned as to not make uh, this uh, very uh, heinous offense, to offend the Vaishnav. By the grace of the Vaishnav, we can understand something about Krishna Leela because this, of all places, is really where the Leela is taking part, place, in, in the Vaishnav's heart. This is what makes uh, the holy place holy, that so many Vaishnavas are living there. Like I say, we may go to Vrindavan, we may not see anything. Prabhupada used to say, "It's not you cannot just go there by buying a plane ticket. It's not a place for solving your economic problems by retiring. Prabhupada used to say, some uh, older men, they will come from India to Vrindavan to retire. Hmm? But I asked them, where is your money? And they would say, oh, I, I, money I've given to the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And in uh, this way, and then you come to Krishna broke with nothing. And he will take care of you. That is your idea. But you have not come to Vrindavan then. The idea of Vrindavan <laughs> is to come to take care of Krishna. This is how Jashoda is thinking. Thinking in every way how to maintain him, how to protect him, how to take care of him. If Vrindavan... Love is characterized by this sense of possessiveness, of minus, that Krishna is mine. So how do you deal with things that are yours? You take very good care of them. So he said, no, you cannot come to Vrindavan like this. I ask, where is your money? (laughs) So to go there, we have to go in a spiritual way. And that will mean we have to go through the vision of the Vaishnavas, in whose heart Krishna Leela is, is going on. How is it going on? This is a simple, simple question, but it may be difficult for the average devotee even to answer. He said that Krishna leela is going on all the time, so we've given an example like Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami he said he's like the sun. Sometimes it appears to be setting for us, whereas for others it is, it is rising. In Finland at this time, it's always there. In other parts of the world, it is dark. So. That is one way to understand. But another way to understand how each and every nuance of every pastime of Krishna is eternally taking place, how and where, in the heart of so many Vaishnavas, one Vaishnava is contemplating this leela, and another Vaishnava is contemplating that leela. And wherever they are contemplating that leela, that is reality, and that leela is taking place in their heart. Is it so difficult to understand? How will we prove that historically? You see, that is not a good approach, archaeologically. (laughs) It takes part in in the homeland of the heart. Going there is going home. And the first step in going home, it's a long journey from where we are, in one sense. And so if we are to go there, we have to think very practically. It is a long journey. What will I take with me? What shall I leave behind? I cannot take everything with me. So many things I'll have to leave behind. I'll have to go in a streamlined way. I will have to take only those things that are absolutely essential for my material maintenance and upkeep. Like when you go packing in the woods and and you have special meals in a little little bag, dehydrated in the tent, packed up in your house into a little like this. Hmm? So something we have to leave behind. This is very practical. So that is why we are discussing about all these demons. Because there are things that are not of value, that will not help us in our journey, that will slow us down, that will burden us. They are unarthas, unnecessary things, unwanted things, false values, extra baggage. That we cannot afford to take. This is life, matter of life and death. So if you have to swim to the other side of the river, matter of life and death, and your gold coins are weighing you down, you have to make a decision (laughs) what to do. How valuable is gold at that time? You were standing on the shore. It had much currency, much purchasing power to facilitate your lifestyle. Now you're going to the other side in the middle of the river. It has no value whatsoever. Values we should see like this. They're relative. We have to somehow other focus our, our attention on that which is absolute, that which is really important in all times, in all circumstances. And accordingly, so many things that seem like valuable gold to us, we have to let go because they're just dragging us down. We cannot go to the other side with that and if we are smart wise enough thoughtful enough sincere enough to let go and arrive on the other side what will we find there is gold everywhere streets are made of gold the trees produce jewels like we hear in Raghunathasa's Mukta Charita, when Krishna went in a desire to have some power over the gopis in love negotiations he took some jewels that relatives had brought and given as a donation to Nanda Maharaj. He took them and threw them in the field. The father said, what are you doing? You're planting this, ju- we're throwing the jewels in the field. He said, I'm planting jewel trees. I've seen you do that with seeds for fruits. And, so these are... And then of course, he said, oh, all the jewels, He thrown all the jewels and oh well, whatever. Because he's the jewel of their life, it doesn't really matter. The jewels were just lying in the drawer. The child could come and take them and so much opulence is there in Vrindavan, in one sense, in, in Golok Vrindavan, so much opulence. It is said the land is touchstone, the trees are desire trees, you can get whatever you want from them. But the real wealth is what? The real wealth is that if you get there you realize everybody here, nobody here wants any of these things. What kind of wealth is that? From the tree you can get whatever you want. Krishna actually planted those pearls and trees grew up and big pearls came on them. Used them in his negotiating and love affairs with the gopis. It's a long story. Anything possible there. And this is why. Because our mind and our hearts are not cluttered. That is part of it, the first part. They're clean, open to the possibility of Krishna consciousness. And if Krishna consciousness then comes in our heart, then... Nothing is impossible. As Prabhupada used to like to say, impossible is a word in the fool's dictionary. So we're talking about these different demons because one thing is, uh, this is a very practical way to talk about Krishna-lila. We should learn about these pastimes, hear about them. And as we see, they're very entangling. In other words, they're very consuming. So many details. One leads to another. One Leela takes us to another lila, to another lila. And so for this way we can become lost in Krishna lila And if we do so in terms of entrance, in the context of discussing the Krishna's defeating the demons, then the demons we will reflect from time to time upon thinking about these pastimes. What these different demons how they got in the way of Krishna consciousness. How some things that they personified might be found within us and how they have to be dealt with and retired and so forth. These are the things that have to be left behind to make the journey successful. As I mentioned the other day, Bhagavatam begins with this idea, anvayad itarata," and it's said also in Chatur Shloka of Bhagavatam, anvayad vati same idea. Directly and indirectly, one should search it out. Opening stands of Bhagavatam says, the obeisance is to, to Vasite, the source of everything directly and indirectly so indirectly to speak about krishna is to speak about retiring these unwanted things this is the nature of krishna lila when krishna lila makes its appearance within our frame of reference our sensual and mental frame of reference which is the material world there's a, there's a mixture there then you know, between the spiritual and the material and this mixture of the material and the spiritual that is, makes up the manifest Leela of Krishna appearing on earth, it speaks to us about the practical mechanics of, of sadhana bhakti that involve retiring the material in order to have standing in the spiritual. And nothing could be perhaps a greater example of this than that such a prominent role in Krishna Leela that King Kongsa plays. So if we were to go to the beginning of Krishna Leela, we came to the end of Dantavakra and Shishupal. I said, but we better we should start at the beginning. I said, the beginning and anywhere you enter has value, and it's sweet and it's constantly going round and round and round and every time each pastime comes it's like it's never been performed before so always fresh to discuss but let us start at the beginning with Kansa very special person in Krishna Lila so much he facilitated the manifesting of Krishna Lila the unfolding of Krishna Lila and the distribution of Krishna Lila actually also even in Gaur Lila he has his presence but that is later. And before he appeared as Kamsa, of course, he's alive as well. It is said that Kamsa, in his previous birth, his name was Kalanemi. Kalanemi. And um, at the time of the churning of the ocean, this is one of the creation stories of Bhagavatam, the churning of the ocean on the back of the kurma Avatar. Kalanemi fought with Vishnu and was defeated. However, Sukracharja, who was the guru of the demons, revived him, gave him some uh, medicine and, re- and brought him back to life. And he, he had one request. He had a desire to have another chance to fight with Vishnu. <laughs> so he was given the benediction that yes, in the next next life that possibility will come to you. In the meantime, after he was revived, he thought he would exercise his prowess and prepare himself for the next encounter with Vishnu. So he did a number of things, met a number of powerful people and expressed himself and showed his strength and so forth. He met Parasharam, for example. Parashram had a bow, a great archer's bow, that had been given to him by Tripurati, Lord Shiva, and uh, he wanted to fight with Parashram. Parashram said, "You're not matched for me, but if you can, if you can string this bow, I'll let you go." So he was he was able to string the bow. So Parashram let him go and gave him the bow. He kept that bow, big bow. And Parashram gave him a benediction also. I think he gave the benediction that the next life you will be born in Krishna Lila and you will fight with the, the source of all avatars. So your, your, uh, your desire will definitely be fulfilled. So in the next life he was born as the son of uh, Ugrasen and Padmavati in Mathura. And that bow was there in Mathura also. Parashram also told him but someone will break that bow and that person will be the cause of your death. So anyway, he was living in Mathura, and this Kamsa was uh, looking for the opportunity to fight again with Vishnu. Well, actually, he didn't know. It's just like when you take birth; you're not sure of your past life. But his past life was expressing itself. So, without realizing it, that's what he was about: exercising his power, prowess, in uh, in the hopes of meeting with with Vishnu again and defeating him. And so not far that, that Jarasand was had made camp at along the banks of the Jamuna. And one day one of his powerful elephants got loose. Guvalyapita was his name. And he came into Mathura city and caused a disturbance and Kamsa was able to wrestle the fellow and defeat him and so forth, which was quite an impressive act. And so Jarasandh was pleased with him and gave him his two daughters in marriage, along with the elephant, as a gift. And then he fought with the wrestlers, Chanura and Mushtika, big wrestlers, and Kamsa defeated them very easily. Putana, a witch like lady, came forward. He says, I don't fight with ladies, he said. He dismissed her. Then Shakatasur he defeated, and Trinavarta he defeated and um, Bakasur, and Agasur, and Vatsasur, and Vyomasur, one after another. All of these powerful people came under the influence of Kamsa. So we can just imagine how powerful he was amongst all of the demons in the in the brudge and uh, Lila, all that, that were sent by Kamsa. They were sent by, they were doing his bidding. They had become subservient to him. They were nothing in comparison to him. They're all living under the reign of his terror, and indeed, uh, it is appropriate to discuss it like that because he, he was quite a tyrant, and he really very much uh, represents the oppression, if you will, of Krishna consciousness. Bhakti Sadas starts to talk. We used to like to talk about Kamsa in terms of the potential of intelligence to oppress Krishna consciousness if it's not captured harnessed by uh, appropriate spiritual practice, by hearing, for example, Bhagatam and allowing by such proper hearing for the intelligence to be put in its proper place. It is inferior to the soul intelligence. So if it becomes the guide of the soul, if it rules, I should say, over the soul, then the soul will not have a life of its own. Dr. Siddhanta used to like to compare Kamsa to the, to the, uh, like academic people who make a study of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> and go and, um, like to take the dictionary meaning of the words only and, and consider the experience of the devotees, the commentaries of the devotees and the enthusiasm of the devotees to be some type of and bias and, um, Deviation from facts into the land of faith and belief and and superstition and so forth. They, while they think that we are positing so many things into there, into that, Leila, where in its face it just seems to say something, something else. We think that they are not reading it at all. This is very dangerous. This. Uh, we have to come. In the beginning, we come. We have a soft heart and we get some faith in Krishna consciousness by good association. The association should be continued, both by hearing from sadhus and, and studying from scripture. And as we do so, this exercise of hearing should strengthen our faith. It should bring our heart and our head in harmony. In the beginning, a little bit with our head, we come in, we ask questions, and we want our logic to be satisfied and so forth then our heart is captured by the Vaishnava we're taken away then we believe anything and later on and the head may surface again we have to think about do I, do I believe do i believe that <laughs> is that true how does that work and then we want to make it we want to bring a harmony between the head and the heart and if we don't do this under good guidance then because the beginning faith is tender then the head the intelligence can come in opposition to the faith. Faith is the means of going there. No other way. Because faith is divine. Faith is sattvic, in the least, which gives clarity. And ultimately, faith is divine. Faith coming from scripture, from sadhus and so forth. Sometimes people say, "Well, anyway, at least he has faith, or he or she believes in something. It's good to believe in something." And there's some, as much as we might comment on that say, and speak of the shortcomings of that, just believing in anything. And it's also true that to have faith in something, that's valuable. Whatever it may be, our faith will be influenced by the modes of nature that we're in, but the fact that we have any faith, that is a sign of sattva. Sridhar used to speak of faith in, as, as a very tangible reality. He said, that these, uh, these are planets of faith. And here we live in a realm of doubt. So we're proceeding with caution. That is the homeland of the heart there. No caution. Everyone at home. Happy dealings. No fear. But in the beginning, our faith in Krishna consciousness is is a little tender. So if our intelligence is not harnessed by good guidance, this is what Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad person, of course, seeks to do. You have to apply your intelligence to study the Bhagavatam. If you study it carefully, under good guidance, you see that it's giving a good bashing to the limitations of intelligence. By intellect, you cannot taste. So how much can you know about anything? You can describe an apple, but can, <laughs> what can you know about an apple? Simply by intelligence. You have to taste it. You have to experience it. Intelligence is not synonymous with experience and realization. Theoretical knowing is only as valuable as it fuels our transrational means of knowing, sadhana bhakti, chanting Hare Krishna, for example, is not a, it's not unreasonable to do so, but the exercise in and of itself is not a rational exercise, it's an exercise of the heart, exercising the, the atrophied heart. So this is how Bhagavatam speaks to us. We have to use our intelligence to study Bhagavatam and it speaks to our intelligence and puts us in its place. Mahaprabhu very much like the sloka of Ramananda Roy that he cited, uh, from Bhagavatam, the prayers of Brahma. What is that verse? Stane sita shuti katam tanavan It begins that simply this, uh, exercise of the, of the intelligence, by this alone, we cannot understand Krishna. But by hearing in Guru Parampara, Submissively, then uh, super knowing becomes possible. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Sastritaka used to like to speak about Kamsa in this way. And we should be careful of this on the path. Kamsa was a great oppressor of Krishna consciousness. He tried to oppress Krishna so that he would never be born. We speak about Putana and how insidious was her crime approaching the infant, infant Krishna at three months old, offering her breast and so forth. And that discussion is yet to come, but but Kamsa was planning on his... Uh, his he sent Putin there. He was planning to kill the child, uh, seven children ahead of time. He knew the eighth child would, would be the cause of his death, so the oracle said, when the first child was presented to him by... Bhai Dave, then said, "Oh well, you know, it's not going to be till the eighth one. But then Narada Muni wanting to move things along as he did in ways that are sometimes hard for devotees to understand came and said, you know, you could count to eight in a lot of different ways. You know, eighth son could be eighth in this respect or that respect. It depends how you count. It could be any one of them. Under the counsel of nod and then further support from his demonic friends, he he called Vasudeva back and killed the first child, second child, third child, fourth child, fifth child, sixth child, six in a row. we may wonder about this. How is it that Devaki, Bhakti herself, who gives Krishna, that is Bhakti. Devaki is is like the, the womb of Bhakti, giving Krishna to the world. How could her six sons be killed? So again, as I said earlier... This Krishna Leela in this world is a combination of matter and spirit in a way. There's some convergence there. And it converges in a way to teach us sādakas. In one sense, this is why Krishna comes to the world. For sadhukas. It is said, paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya traduskritam. In Gita, fourth chapter, Krishna says, I come to annihilate the miscreants and protect the devotees. Establish dharma and so forth. So of these things, two are are byproducts of the third. The byproducts are annihilate the miscreants, establish dharma, and they are byproducts of what? Protecting the devotees. Krishna interacts with his devotees. He comes for them. That means what? That there are always devotees in the world, and they have great love for Krishna. And they have compassion for others. And out of their generosity, they consider others as devotees. Engage them in, in the cultivation of Krishna consciousness. And because those devotees care about such people, Krishna, who loves his devotees and comes for them, by extension, also helps those sadhakas. So in effect, he comes to the world for devotees, both mature devotees and immature devotees. And as a byproduct of that, he, he destroys, uh, uh, ignorance and demonic tendencies and so forth and establishes religion. So in Krishna Lila, we have this mixture of the material and the, and, and the spiritual, dealing with the demonic. So from Deva, can we find these six sons? So, so how is it possible? The answer is that long time ago, before Krishna made his appearance, at the dawn of creation, when Brahma was working with uh, establishing the world through mantram through sound, this Morici, um, one of the, I guess, sages, rishis, he's considered to be like personification of the mind. He had six sons. And is it Marichi's six sons? They cursed Brahma. Now they cursed Brahma. I shouldn't say they laughed at Brahma. Brahma is a great person. But sometimes great persons do things that are either misunderstood to be unbecoming, or they may be a little bit unbecoming. You have to give great persons a little bit of leeway for their eccentricity. So Brahma did something that seemed a little bit unbecoming. And these sons of Marichi, they laughed at him. They made fun of him for that. It wasn't taken very well by the... Powers that be. This is considered to be an offense. And so they were cursed and they had to take birth as sons of the demon, perhaps Haranyakasipu, other sons besides Prahlad. Mariki, the mind, these are his sons, means something like this that mind is wedded to the senses and the children are the product of the interaction between the senses and the sense objects. In other words, we contemplate sense objects in the mind, and through the senses we contact them and, and give birth to an experience. So these six sons, they represent the six sense objects, taste, sound, smell, touch, and so forth, by which we are all implicated in, in the world. So these six sons, they became sons of Kashipu. And somehow or other, they, or they became maybe grandsons of Hiranyakashipu. At any rate, something like that. And then, their father was Nemi. And Nemi made some offense as well. Somehow or other they were told that though they will have to take birth and be killed by their own father. Their own father will kill them. So Kalnemi was born as Kamsa and arrange for the deaths of these six sons of Devaki. They look like all the dear sons of Devaki, but they have a history. And symbolically, as I say, they they represent in different ways it may be looked at. One, as I said, these objects of the senses that we will have to retire interaction with unless it's in consideration of Krishna consciousness in order to become Krishna conscious. These will have to be killed. Sometimes they are thought to represent also kam, krodh, lobha, moha, Mada, matsarja, enemies of the mind. They don't have to be slayed. So in bhakti, if Devaki is like bhakti herself giving Krishna to the world, and these six sons are those things that are to be avoided, and kamsa is, is the fear that Devaki felt for kamsa then there's a healthy fear for the devotees. We can think of Kamsa in this way. We should be a little afraid that as sadhakas, we're still in touch with the world. And there's a chance to be distracted, even in the name of using things in Krishna's service. We may be more interested in the thing than Krishna's service. If we're really using something, like Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur in the service of Krishna, the result will be that we lose interest in the thing and we develop interest in Krishna. Actually, the real idea of this, this is called Yukta Bhairagya, given by Rupa Goswami, is that one who is detached, truly, can use things of the world and not be implicated by them, use them in the service of Krishna. It's not really spoken of, the idea, as a dovetailing thing. Go ahead and get all the things you want and use them in Krishna's service. But if you're renounced enough, like Rupa Goswami, that you could live under a different tree, then you can use the whole world in Krishna's service. You have no fear of that. But we should have some fear of that, of being involved with the world. We should have some fear that we will be distracted. We should have some fear that our material desires are still prominent and they distract us and they take us away and try to create an environment where there's less possibility for that. This kind of fear is healthy. We should have some fear or some regret, some remorse, that we do things that don't help us in Krishna consciousness. That doesn't exclude us, that doesn't kick us out, that doesn't um, dismiss us from the school of bhakti. Bhakti is very, very generous. It's to be understood. You can come to bhakti in any condition. You may have all kinds of desires, still come to bhakti. But as you grow in bhakti and you realize some of my <coughs> desires are unhelpful for bhakti, but I can't give them up. Still, you're not excluded. But when you do the things and, then you, and, and you know they're not in my interest, then you feel some remorse. I did those things that didn't help me. Um, wish I could overcome that. This kind of feeling should come within us. Some remorse. That will grow in time to some, some fear. I don't want to do those things. I want to change my situation, my environment, protect my bhakti like a mother would protect a child in the womb so that bhakti can actually truly take birth in my heart so in this way this uh, leela krishna leela in general when it manifests in the world as i say it's kind of a meeting point between material and spiritual and it tells us about the practical method almost if you will and by which we can become krishna conscious involving first retiring that which is unwanted. We're going to do it artificially, so therefore, as I said, there's some room for having desires. There's no room for that in Gyanmar. And bhakti, bhakti will come to anyone, so very generous. At first we we're afraid of bhakti, <laughs> but it will take away everything from me. And gradually we should that fear should turn to those things that might get in the way of my bhakti. As we find some footing in bhakti by connection with the real sadhu. And we think, I want to keep this connection somehow or other. Somehow I want to latch on to this and realize I may have to bend here and there and I'll organize my life around that. This is the first way we will think, I've got something valuable. I'm in connection with the real devotee of Krishna. Somehow I have to hang on to that. So we'll be afraid that I won't do anything that will get in the way of that. I'll create my life, arrange my life in such a way to facilitate that. Kamsa represents fear. We talked about we should not have any fear, but this is a healthy kind of fear. We should be afraid of Kamsa. All the inhabitants of Vrindavan, they have some fear of Kamsa. Not that Kamsa will kill them, but that Kamsa might kill Krishna. Do you understand the difference? They have no fear for themselves. It's not a question of uh, we might get hurt by Kamsa, he might kill us. No. But that he might get in the way of, of our being able to take advantage of Krishna, to serve Krishna, to love Krishna. This kind of fear. So Kamsa grew up in Mathura. He assembled this huge entourage of demonic supporters, had a very fortified regime, and of course, as you know, then his sister Devaki, on her marriage day, Oracle came, oh, the eighth son of Devaki will, will cause your death, and immediately he was ready to kill, kill Devaki. Vasudev spoke some philosophy to him. How did, how did Vasudev convince him to lighten up? He spoke so much philosophy to him, and so it didn't have much effect. But when Vasudev said, look, I'll give you my promise, I'll deliver the, uh, the eighth son, I'll deliver all the sons. He we thought, well, this guy, you know, he's honest. Devotees are honest. Another synonym for the word devotee is satam, who's truthful. So when Vasudev gave his word, he said, oh, this, this man will never break his word, so I'm safe. He'll deliver all the children to me, and I can kill them. How heinous this fellow was. Of course, as we, we know, Vasudev did bring the children, one, two, three, four, five and 6 all of whom should be slain and interestingly enough all of whom krishna revived so there can be calm there can be crowd jealousy all these things in krishna consciousness there can be objects of the senses and interaction with them that's fully krishna conscious after all this was over Kamsa had been slain krishna went to school Stayed in Mathura, was schooled by Sandipani Muni, stayed with his parents, Devaki and and Vasudev. Devaki expressed some motherly concern for her six children that were killed. You know, after Krishna completed the Gurukul, Sandipani Muni asked asked some Dakshin, Guru Dakshin. So he was asking each of the students to do something. And he thought, hmm, these students, Krishna and Bharara, they're very special. They learned every lesson just perfectly and in no time. So I have to give them a special task. His own son had been lost. And so he asked, please recover my dead son. The Guru asked his disciple, please recover my dead son. <laughs> so Krishna did it. Son of Sandi Panimuni. That is... Uh, Madhu Mangal. Of course, he appears in the Braj Leela as well. That means he has, like these Leelas are such, don't try to study these Leelas in such a way that you, you do away with them, as I said earlier, with your intellect only. Madhu Mangal has appearance in the braj Leela, he has appearance in the, in the Mathura Leela, they're all simultaneous and eternal. At any rate, Krishna brought back the dead son. So Devaki knew this. So she asked, you know, could you bring my dead sons back? Sure enough, he did it. It means to us like this, that Krishna consciousness is very hard to understand. Because while at one point we speak openly, avoid unbridled sense gratification, names and forms, all these are illusory and so forth. You are consciousness, not matter. You follow that and then we start talking about forms and names that are all eternal and things to do and I mean you, you we talk about renunciation and the people of Goloka Vrindavan, they're simply attached when Krishna was delivered Nanda Maharaj from the clutches of Baruna then they were on pilgrimage at that time Krishna and Nanda Maharaj and company Prajabhasis the so they said to him Krishna you're very wonderful can you tell us you have some by the grace of Narayana, some mystic powers. Can you tell us what our next life will be? Krishna showed them by mystic vision what their next life would be. What was it? Same as it is now. All the cows are there. Nanda, Yashoda, the king and queen, the children, everything, all the same. So everybody wants, right? Go with their family to heaven. Meanwhile, we're talking about renounce the family <laughs> and all these things. We have nothing to do with Krishna consciousness, practically, it would seem when we preach like that. This is the interim. Again, leaving the negative to find all these sensual experiences in a positive way. In other words, Krishna consciousness is like probably say, take the poison out of the snake. It's fangs. No problem anymore. Take the fangs out of the snake. No problem anymore. Therefore, Krishna is running with gopis. This is the idea. Difficult to understand. Bhakti means no exploitation, no selfishness then freedom to interact with everything. But we have no experience of interacting without selfish interest, practically. So it's hard to understand Krishna consciousness. But when we lose selfish interest, this is the point, we get everything. Everything. <laughs> so Krishna lila is a full life. They're doing everything. And there's no implication. There's no, there's no negative ramifications from that because there's no selfishness in that whatsoever no exploitation fully giving as we discussed earlier Radharani is only giving herself to Krishna in union because she knows it will please him her pain and separation is most because she knows he's unhappy therefore it's making me unhappy so Krishna revived the dead sons of of Devakī so you can be angry in krishna consciousness even you can be calm it is called the ideal of calm mapu kamanuga to follow the path of, of calm without any negative uh, ramifications and of course then after the six sons were born then baldev made his appearance in the womb of devaki and prepared it for krishna then he was transferred to the womb of Rohini. Yogamaya appeared, and that child stood up to Kamsa and told him, he, he, You're finished. Only a matter of time. Krishna took birth, was transferred to Vrindavan, hidden there. See how the devotees are trying to, they have some healthy fear, as I say, of Kamsa to protect Krishna. And then Kamsa will start his campaign. So we'll hear about his campaign beginning uh, this, this evening. But before we end, we should mention we talked a little bit about the life before Kamsa became Kamsa, and he had a life afterwards as well. Kamsa was so absorbed in the thought of Krishna in fear that he really, even though in a negative way, he really he tried and tried to oppose and oppress Krishna consciousness, he facilitated it. This is the nature of Krishna consciousness. You can't go against it, really. Even if you try to go against it, it will only flourish. Therefore, Prabhupada sometimes used to say in his Sankirtan mission, Any publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Somehow whether we we'll get Krishna's name in the paper. It's like terrorism. You know, they think, some will, make a claim. You never heard of us before. We did this horrible thing. At least our name is in the paper. Now there's attention given to our cause. Now people have to listen to what, we, what we're what about. So Prabhupada had a kind of a, a reign of terror, selling books everywhere and disturbing people and so forth, and they would be reported and, and whatnot. In and this way, his mission got some attention. He thought, bring people's attention to Krishna, somewhere or other. Then when they hear about Krishna, they find it's, it's Krishna consciousness really nice and then there's no more need for that kind of reign of terror. So, you clearly can't go against Krishna consciousness. Once some of my brothers w- w- went against Sridhar he said, Ah, really, it's like spitting at the sun. You can't put the sun out. It'll only come back in your face. But we we're speaking about that. He said that, that it's Krishna consciousness what can be done. Is uncheckable. Ahoy, apatihata, because it has no motive; it cannot be stopped. Because it is selfless, then no selfish, uh, selfishly motivated activity can really compete with it. It has great power. So Kamsa tried to oppress Krishna consciousness, but he really fostered it. So many things came out as a result of his attempt. To all the, the wonders of Krishna, the powers of Krishna, how he defeated Putana, Shakata, Trinavarta, Bakasur, Agasur, one after another, and so simply he defeated in Vrindavan particularly. In Dwarka he did a little more fighting and so forth, and in Mathura, but in in Brindaban, just uh, he, so effortlessly, Swami Bhagawan. He said the Vishnu inside of him is doing that, but. Vishnu insight coming through Swayam Bhagavan so easily everything is done. Just like Namsan Kirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The work of the Yuga Dharma, Vishnu was there doing that, but doing it in a special way by the influence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Prema Dharma is coming. Not just just the U- Yuga Dharma, but Prema Dharma. So Kamsa very much tried to oppress Krishna consciousness, but he only really facilitated Krishna consciousness in the long run if we look at it. He allowed so many wonders about Krishna to come out, that people could understand his divinity. Perhaps more than anyone else, Kamsa facilitated the practical reality, the tattva, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, that could be known. So many powerful things Krishna did in a reaction to the oppression, attempts to oppress him by, by Kamsa. So, at any rate, Kamsa was defeated. Krishna consciousness prevailed and as Krishna consciousness comes through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as I began also Kamsa is also making his appearance in Chaitanya Lila so who is the Kamsa in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila? Hmm? Who tried to oppress the Kirtan in Nadia just when it was just when it was taking birth? Just as Gaur be- tried to come out of Sri Sangam and, and perform Kirtan for the people in general? Chand Kazi came broke the mudunga, crashed the clay Murdanga on the ground and made a rule. There'll be no more of this uh, Sankirtan in Nadia district. So he immediately tried to oppress. What happened? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came with a hundred thousand devotees. By torchlight, they went to the house of Kamsa or Chandkazi, And Chandkazi was made a Nervous and fearful, like Hamza, who, as each demon was defeated, one after another, and the story came back to him, oh, so, Putin came disguised, tried to kill him. Trinavarta went invisible, then, to defeat him. And they both tried on land. So Trinavarta said, "We'll take him in the air and try to kill him." One tactic after another, after, no one could be successful with each demon slain one step closer to Kamsa's door. By the time Krishna came to Mathura, oh my God, the washerman, Krishna and Balaram came in, the man was washing the clothes of Kamsa. Balaram said, I like that robe, give me that. Krishna said, give me that turban. They dressed themselves up in the king's robes. The washerman said, you can't do that. That's the king's stuff. You're two village boys. People tell stories about you. You may be great, but you can't wear the king's clothes. Krishna cut off his head. In his previous life, he was that fellow who complained, told his wife, hey, you better be chaste to me. I'm not keep an unchaste wife like that Ram, Ram does. After Sita went with Ravana, he kept her around. That fellow took birth in Krishna Lila as a washerman. This is what happened to him. Then he met the flower man, Sudama, the florist, who gave him a beautiful garland. He was also a devotee in Ramlila, got such a blessing. And then the tailor, that tailor was also from Ramlila. He was the tailor who was involved in the wedding of Ram. He became attracted to Ram and Lakshman. He thought, if I could make clothes for those two brothers, my life would be perfect. He got the benediction, and next life he sewed clothes for them. One after another, he met different people. He broke the bow that was in Mathura that Kamsa had gotten, as actually his Kalnami in the previous birth it was there in Mathura. He broke that bow. So whoever broke the bow would kill Kamsa. Elephant Kuvallapita, who had been given by Jarasandha as a wedding present. Krishna defeated him. Each of these demons, uh, Kamsa was getting more and more nervous. He started to see omens. He looked in the mirror, he saw everything but his head. Look at the shadow it had holes in it. <laughs> well he knew oh, my time is running out. So fearful he became preoccupied. So Chandakazi was becoming fearful. He went around and showed himself off and broke the drum and ordered the San Kirtana would be stopped, and meanwhile a hundred thousand men were converging on his house at torches at night and they were kind of fired up. This boy only Nimai Pandit, just a young boy, had captured their attention this was a, a district uh, a state governed by Muslims and these were Hindus and the Hindus had rallied around a boy just a young teenage boy and his new religion that even the Hindus took exception to why this rock at all night chanting and if you give Krishna's name out to everybody it will lose its power they thought but they had faith in Nimai Pandit. They had love for Nimai Pandit. They'd been charmed by him. So it didn't make a lot of sense. We'll rally around a teenage boy and cause a ruckus that even the other Hindus comp- complain to the Muslims about and we think we'll get away with it. They didn't, they didn't have time to think like that. They were in love. Love knows no reason. They gathered around Nimai Pandit. They told him, the "Chand has broken the drum. He said, "Then we'll go, all of us together to the Chandkazi's house." And you can imagine this. by torchlight they went at night, hundred, hundred thousand plus, they got to the Chandkazi's house, and they were trampling the gardens and shaking the house. and this is a real revolution. And Chand is inside, just like Kamsa, just fearful for his life. He came to the door. Can I help you? Mahaprabhu told him, Oh, my dear uncle. The elders in the village would be called like kaka, like uncle. We are very live close together and so forth nearby. We're just coming for a friendly visit. <laughs> and he told his men, Calm down, calm down. Mahaprabhu preached to him, Why why do you kill cows and call it religion? John Kaji said, Well, in your, even your Hindu scriptures, it's you have sacrifices for cows so what's the problem and Mahaprabhu explained oh these are this is a different thing for an old retired bull you sacrifice and give him a new life there are certain sacrifices and for that matter anyway those things are prohibited in the Kali Yuga very easily Mahaprabhu defeated him charmed him and then the Chantikaji said actually I want to tell you something secret something in private and Mahaprabhu said speak openly these are all my people I hide nothing from them. I try to understand this point. Mahaprabhu said, From these people I have nothing to hide. I have no secrets. They know my heart. Anything I know, they know. I give to them immediately. We should become such devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So speak openly. Chanty said, Last night I had a dream, and in that dream a half man and half lion creature came to me, jumped on my chest. Tore apart my shirt, scratched my at my heart, and said, Don't ever break that drum again. That's my favorite instrument. The protector of Sankirtan and Bhakti, Bhakti Vinasana, see Nalsingadev Ki Jai. Then he said, Just look, and he opened his shirt, and there were those scratches on his heart. And all the devotees were amazed. And this way, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu converted Kamsa again. But as Chankazi, only defeated his demonic tendencies and turned him into a devotee. And from that day on, even to this day, the Muslims in that village they all honor the Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's actually a holy place on the parikram of the Vormandala parikram. So, in this way, we've heard a little something about Kamsa. Tonight, we'll discuss about Putana. Any question? Yes about how we have to get rid of our, an artist. Mm. And I was thinking, just thinking that um, are we supposed to just chant as sincerely as we can and wait for them to go away of themselves or is there something we can practically do to counteract them like somehow try to behave in a different way than we normally do? No, the main thing is chanting and then becoming aware of them by sadhu sangha. And as we chant and become aware of them, then what happens is when they arise and show themselves, then we're aware of what they are and then we have to exercise some determination. Gradually this determination will come. That's Nishtha. That's the very life of Preeti, actually, of love. So it's a little bit of both in that we just chant and take Sadhu Sangha, participate in Sadhu Sangha. Then these things, they, we, we understand what they are. They comes to our mind. We're sincere, we're honest, so we know. And then if we're dealing with one in particular, then say it's a bad habit or something like that, for example. Then every time we, the, the occasion arises to perform that, now we've got so much knowledge and we've become aware of it and so forth, then make a choice then. We struggle, we make the right choice and we feel better and this way we retire it. So it's a little bit of, a little bit of both. It's not that, well, we just chant and it'll just go away on its own one day. You have to be determined, I want this to go away. I want to retire this. The desire to retire it will come as knowledge begins to manifest through bhakti. Of what is the ignorance of that desire? What it leads to? What is the result and so forth? So you get strength from that. And then you have to make the choice. Does that help? Yeah, I'm I'm mostly thinking about like attachment to like, I'm especially when we've been reading Bhagavad like, Gita. I've recognized how attached I am to being respected and to people knowing who I am and that kind of things but I, I don't really know uh, what kind, in what kind of situations I can then choose um, not to enjoy being respected if you know what I yeah you can choose hmm. you can choose one thing you can do is to try to give respect to others respect will come naturally to you for that in the way that you can handle the desire for distinction for respect is is very difficult to retire altogether. You're kind of dealing with the, the root of all anarthas in one sense there. And you can do it in little ways. You can do something nice for someone or for a devotee, and then you want the other devotees to know that you did it. So you can practice trying to do it secretly without anyone knowing. You can practice doing things for others without them knowing. This will be helpful. Just like you think of some devotees in particular, other persons, you find ways to do something nice for them, whatever it may be. Like somebody's shoes are on the other side, so you bring them and put them by the door. And then you go away, of course, and nobody knows. Try to do things secretly like this without getting any recognition. That will be helpful. Especially if you live in a community of devotees, which you don't exactly, but you can do with other people too to some extent. You try to secretly do things for others that make them happy, that please them, that show show regard for them, something like that, serve them by being invisible at the same time. Try that and see how you feel after a while. Mm-hmm. it's difficult it's a petty thing though the acknowledgement it kind of takes a little bit of the the, uh, the glory of, of doing something wonderful out of it the desire to be recognized for it Krishna consciousness is all about recognizing the greatness of Krishna whereby we become recognized That's then you have to of course deal with that but it can be quite a problem at the same time it's very innate and natural for everyone want to want to be recognized so I wouldn't be too um, in the world like for example in your life you want to be recognized so that you can be successful like if you're a writer so you want your work to be recognized so if there's not then you know you have to do something else so that's kind of natural and I don't think that that's a problem I think it's good that you think like that, but I don't find... I've met a lot of people who, like, you know, people eat garlic and it just oozes out of every pore of their body. you ever met people like that who take it regularly for health? They come in the room and it's just like a garlic factory. Some people ooze like that with a desire to be recognized and acknowledged. So I can tell you, frankly, you're not like that at all. <laughs> so, still, it's good to to be concerned so try try secretly doing things for others that's my recommendation another question yes you mentioned that that Kamsa wasn't exactly aware of his last life as Kalanami yeah Nard told him about it actually yeah, uh-huh. yeah Nard informed him in your last life you were Kalanami you were killed by Vishnu now you were born here he's going to come again this is your chance because I was thinking that, that it seems that he still had kind of like an Uh, desire to fight with Krishna because otherwise he could have easily when he imprisoned Devaki and Vasudeva he could have easily put Devaki in one cell and Vasudeva in another so they couldn't have had any (laughs) yeah well destiny is what it was so his intelligence was was covered (laughs) yeah but he did he did have a desire to fight with Krishna and of course, uh, I, I didn't mention it, but Krishna did kill him. <laughs> I guess I did mention it, but in the arena, he defeated Chanur and Mustika. And Oh, another important point that comes to mind, worth mentioning, I was saying how much Kamsa brought out Krishna, who is Krishna. There's a very famous verse in this regard, that once Krishna arrived at the wrestling arena to fight, which Kamsa had arranged, then it became apparent that Krishna was Rasaraj, because in that arena, so many people saw him from... 10 people saw him from 12 different angles of vision, the 12 rasas. The, it means that the wrestlers saw him... They saw him from the angle of anger, through the, through the lens of anger. That's one of the rasas, secondary rasa, rodra. Then uh, the common people, men in the community they saw him with mishmai or Adbuta with wonder. And the ladies, they saw him in period of, of conjugal love. They saw him as Cupid personified. They were all seeing from different angles of vision. The cowherd boys, they saw him, of course, they had accompanied him, some of them, from Mathura. They saw him as their friend and they, and they laughed when he stood up next to Kamsa, they thought, because they, they're always fighting with him. But sometimes they're defeating him, and they think they're laughing. Who do you think you are that you'll go and fight these two? I should be in there fighting you, helping you. So, from their point of view, they saw him from Sakya and Hasya. Hasya laughter is one of the secondary rasas. Then the uh, elders, some of the elders, saw him in, in parental love. Just he's just a young boy here, and they thought this is, an, this is inappropriate. Young boy next to. These big wrestlers, they felt compassion for him. Karunya, so that he experienced two. Kamsa saw him as fear, personified, death personified. So he experienced fear, bhayankara The Vrishnis, they saw him in Dasya, Dasya bhakti. They saw him as, as the Lord. The yogi saw him in Shanta, as the Paramatma. So Shantaras, Dasiras, Sakiras, ras and fear, and wonder, and comedy, and pity, or compassion, and anger, and one other one, Vibhatsa, disgust. Some people saw him as disgusting. Who is this fellow come here? He's carrying an elephant's tusk on his shoulder, and the blood of the elephants. I a little bit on him and they had heard things about him and so forth. They were disgusted. Another group was also disgusted to think, what kind of gathering is this? supposed to be a religious kind of gathering and a festival for wrestling and you bring these big wrestlers in against these little boys? This is disgusting. In this way, in that arena, it was established through the words of Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishna is the reservoir of all Rasas. Rasaraj. Comes as showed... He's the Supreme Personality of Godhead.